Time for our feature interview in episode 3. In episode 1 we had the legend of trail and ultra running in Ireland, Ian Keat. In episode 2 we had a double world champion and UTMB TTS winner Pablo Villa. But now in episode 3 it's time for the first lady of Irish mountain running. She has been the best athlete on the mountains, male or female, over the last 10 years. She is a classy athlete on the mountains and off the mountains. It's Sarah McCormick. Sarah has three different passports but we're lucky enough to have her running for Ireland and she has done so on at least 20 occasions. She's got a European cross country medal, she's got a world championship mountain running team medal and she's been in the top 10 individually on two occasions in the world championships. She's topped off a wonderful 10 years running with the World Cup trophy win from the World Mountain Running Association in 2019. So let's find out more. Let's dial in. The wonderful, the fantastic Sarah McCormick. Sarah McCormick, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Listen, Sarah, great to have you on. And Sarah, to, to start off with, um, the big news last year, of course, your, your big result was winning the World Mountain Running Association's World Cup trophy. A competition that's 20 years old, full of prestige, a competition that was around long before sky running, ultra trail world tours, Spartan mountain running, race series, full of tradition. And, and it was absolutely a great win. Um, I presume that you were training really hard over the winter time to defend that trophy. But yet, here we are now where maybe you're not too sure whether you'll get a chance to defend it or not. So uh, how, are you, how are you dealing with that at the moment? Um, to be honest, uh, I have to say it's been a bit of a relief just because I, I was really looking forward to and hoping that we'd have another World Cup to go for this year. But um, right at the start of February, I went over my ankle during a race and it just has kind of caused a lot of knock-on problems and I, I actually went over it a second time so I'm just still trying to get everything back together again um training wise and okay. it's going a lot better but to be honest not having the pressure of races has been kind of a blessing in disguise I suppose. How many more weeks Sarah do you think that you'll need before you're back up to training hard because I know Jonathan Wyatt I think is making an announcement at the end of May regarding the world mental running championships the the world cup trophy so will you have time do you think to get back in good shape and all going well we get the race again i think so like actually my volume right now is all right um so it's only really just bringing the sessions back in and and i think as well possibly just have being forced to really have an off season because of where we live there's just so many races year round you can really kind of not have a rest if you're that way inclined and and you know there's such a social thing as well that it's quite easy to just race year round so so um I think it's been good to have a bit of a rest and I'm definitely starting to feel like I'd love to do have some kind of tough challenges um in the near future yeah because I mean I think the the winter was going very well for you by the looks of it because I know you had a very good win in the Montserrat sky race back in February was that just before you went over the ankle that was when I went over the ankle. That was the uh, race that did it. But luckily, I was very near the finish when I did. Um, so I literally, I only had about 500 meters to kind of hobble in. And you know, and you've got the adrenaline going during a race as well. You can kind of get through before the inflammation starts to really kick in. So 
that um that was when it happened and and I kind of knew I was going to have a few weeks where I'd have to be very very careful but it sort of dragged on a bit you know when when one thing just leads to another issue and that sort of thing um but it was a great race I, I definitely go back and do it again regardless it's a it was a really cool race so um yeah and and those kind of injuries they're sort of um you come to it almost not expect them in mountain running but it is part of the sport you have to kind of watch out for so I think it's something that a lot of people encounter at some point in time okay well fingers crossed the timing works out well for you and sure let's go back maybe nine months or so Sarah to the to the World Cup trophy win and it's a very hard competition to compete and win in because in case people aren't aware of how it exactly works your best six races over the course of the season are counted and you get points for a win, points for a second and third, all the way back to maybe 20th position, I think. Um, you obviously targeted the World Cup trophy. Um, why did you decide to target Sarah and then how did you construct your season around it last summer? Because you had to travel to France, Austria, Snowden on home turf nearly, Switzerland, Italy, Slovenia, and the only one you missed out on was the race in the US. Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the great challenges of mountain running um, is that you you do have to try and be a jack of all trades or at least um, try and try and work to your advantages over different distances. And um, And so I think more than focusing on one race in particular, in my training, I just tried to focus on my weaknesses, um, and in particular, like steep climbing, uh, and just yeah, I suppose just develop my my base fitness to the best level I could, and and on top of that, work on my steep climbing, um, and after that, I think the races really are just what get you fit. If you can, I didn't really train a lot in the in the intervening time between races in terms of hard sessions. If I was racing every weekend, I'd just let the races races be my training stimulus really and, and work it that way well I know you came I think was a third in 2018 so yeah that, that probably gave you great confidence to go on and maybe try and go for the win last year yeah I mean I definitely wasn't going into it necessarily aiming for the win um and I think my my record in the um in the world cup kind of reflects that I think I think I came second in those races three times I came fourth once um, and 13th at Sears and now so I wasn't necessarily you know winning them outright um but I think with with the series that started in May and ended in October it was as much of a kind of survival thing um you know get through with some decent performances but stay in one piece as well um so I think in in the case of last year I mean I'm really happy with how I ran but it was definitely as much of a um a case of of getting through the races um, in one piece and, and, you know, other people, potentially stronger runners kind of ended up missing a race or two because of injury. Um, so it was, yeah, as much about, about keeping fit and healthy as anything. And did you have any specific strategies there around, say, the travel element to it? Because every month you would have been 
on planes traveling to to France, to Austria, to Zjerezinal, Italy, to Smarta in Slovenia. Um, and then, of course, you would have been competing for the Irish team in the European Championships and then in, in Argentina, of course, in November. Um, how did you manage all the travel? Because I know traveling can really take it out of you. Yeah, um, I've definitely noticed in the past, like with the um, international flights, uh, sorry, the kind of transatlantic flights and that sort of thing that um, you can get so dehydrated without really noticing it. And you kind of don't realize till you start your race and and don't feel like yourself at all. Um, I mean, the the trips for this series weren't as long. I did consider quite um, seriously going to California. Um, but it would have been only a week after, less than a week after Paul finished his Wainwrights. And I, th- I thought between the sleep deprivation of that and then trying to get to California, um, I probably wouldn't have done the race any justice. Uh, so I, and I was quite glad in the end I didn't do that one. But the um, just because I, I know I wouldn't have raced while well, I, I was knackered. Um, sure. But I think, yeah, with the shorter distance flights, just got there a couple of days before the race and just try and enjoy you know seeing the scenery and maybe get out on a bit of the course and that sort of thing but mostly just taking it easy and drinking lots yeah i mean they, they tend to be in beautiful parts of europe don't they like great scenery and beautiful mountains and there's always a wonderful atmosphere around these mountain races as well um well i presume maybe the two highlights there might have been of course the race win in snowden and then yeah. the, the final race, of course, as well, with the, with the great battle against the Kenyan runner. Um, yeah. Maybe tell us about Snowden first. What was it like to, to win again there? A great <laughs> feeling, I'm sure. It was, yeah, because I, I knew going into it that the field was so much stronger than the previous two times that I'd won there. And, um, and I just, I knew for my own sake that I had to go into it with an open mind, because I think if you go into a race like that thinking, I have to win, I have to win, and things go a certain direction, then you can just get too negative. Um, whereas I was just going into it thinking, well, she's amazing, and she's amazing, and she's amazing. And if they're ahead of me, I'm not going to beat myself up about it because I know they're amazing. <laughs> so yeah. I think it was just staying positive like that. Like Hattie Archer got a good a good lead on me um, in the start of the climb. and. And I know that she's just such a quality runner. And I think I found that in the past, if you if you start beating yourself up about being being in a certain position, you can you can kind of mess up your own race. Whereas just just letting someone do their thing and you do your thing, um, and just trying to kind of focus on how you feel, um, can definitely help you stay positive. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think maybe in the past, other times I haven't necessarily. Um, controlled my nerves as well as I, as I did for that Snowden race and and things just seemed to come together. Sure, what well, experience I'm sure told a lot as well and, and I know there's always a good strong Irish team there as well and um, I'm sure there was a good party that night. Yeah, yeah, there was, yeah. No, I mean it was great because there's Irish team and then the Scots and the English and um, and uh, there's a restaurant in or a cafe in Lambert called Pete's Eats. And I remember showing up there the day before the race. And, and I think that there was at least three teams in there, if not four. And, and just from going to various races, you get to know everyone. And, and um, it's just really great walking into a cafe and kind of already already knowing all the everyone on all the teams. Because compared yeah. to, say, 10 years ago when, um, when I just started mountain running and didn't know anyone and it was all quite intimidating. Um, 
yeah it was a really friendly atmosphere and just yeah really good party afterwards as well sure and then the the skip on to the final race sir um tell us about that when you were crowned world cup trophy winner you had an incredible battle against the the kenyan athlete lucy wambi morigi who i know i think finished two minutes ahead in the first race but he got her back to within a minute on the final race and then you know had a tremendous race against the rest of the field as well and um, tell us about the feeling maybe over the last kilometer or two of that race knowing that you had won they won the championship. Um, was it a sense of joy, elation, or relief? Because you often hear elite sports stars talking about when they do get to that final finish line, whether it's running or any other sport, sometimes it's just a, a release of the pressure to get the win, or was it just simply joy and, and happiness um, getting, the, getting the victory? Yeah, I, I think that race for me was kind of one of those where... Um, you sort of, it was a confidence boost, I suppose, because um, that particular course is two ascents of the same hill, but only one descent. So it was an up, down, up, basically, and you finish at the top. And um, and Lucy flew off on the first climb, as she always does. And um, and I was coming down the main descent, um, and just as we were getting to the bottom, I saw Lucy, and, and I pulled her back in on the descent. And, you know, I hadn't really been thinking about her so much as I was thinking about holding off a girl who was on my shoulder on the climb um, and I was just trying to descend as hard as possible and then realized I'd caught Lucy and we were running shoulder to shoulder um, as we headed into the second climb. And for me, that was just like kind of the realization that I need to stop thinking of her as being, I mean, she's an amazing runner, like world champion, everything. But I think, you know, you have to stop thinking of people as being head and shoulders ahead of you or you're never going to kind of challenge them are you so I think that that race for me was kind of the realization that you know I can be running with Lucy and I and I can be giving her a bit of a challenge and and something to take forward to to this year possibly yeah and would you like to try and obviously defend your title if you can but is it something that you see yourself focusing on over the next three or four years Sarah? and for example I know the the legendary mountain runner Andrea Meyer won it four times is that something you'd like to try and aim for or do you see yourself maybe moving up in distances like a lot of say road runners do they they start off their, their careers on 10ks 5ks and then they move into marathons what are you thinking of yourself for the next couple of years to stay in the the 10k the 20k range on the mountains or to step it up and go ultra I mean I'd love to go a bit longer um my my hope this year was to try and do enough races to count in the Golden Trail as well as the the World Mountain Running because Sierra Zanal is in both series already. So you'd actually only have to do two or three more of the Golden Trail to count. Um, so I think yeah, I went into this year thinking, oh well, I'll see what the World Mountain Running, the World uh, Mountain Running Cup kind of comes up with in terms of races. And the thing is, they always just come up with this amazing lineup of races. So it'd be quite hard to um to kind of leave that off um but i i am interested in in doing some longer distances as well so i think you know in a normal year um if there if there were a normal racing season on next year i'd probably end up trying to do a bit of golden trail but also um staying with the world cup as well just because it's it's really hard to miss once you've started doing it um it's just a really good series 
Sure. And, and something like a, a UTMB, Sarah, could you ever see yourself trying to tackle that? Um, I, I know I, I work at it and, you know, like yourself, I love my short mountain races, but I, I just don't ever see myself actually doing the, the 460k UTMB. Um, what, what, what about yourself? Is it something <laughs> that interests you at all? I, I'm definitely interested in like Mont Blanc Marathon or OCC. Um, I'd be, I'd, I really like that kind of style of running around that they have around um, like Chamonix. The trails are really cool. Um, and to, to be honest, <laughs> I don't know if I'd manage UTMB, but strangely, um, my partner Paul, he's done Tour de Giants a couple times. And somehow that seems less intimidating to me because it's much more of like a, a really hard hike. Now I know the winners, like I've seen them trotting along and I don't know how they do it, but something like a multi-day race, um, like Tour de Giants, where you can where you can do a lot of hiking, um, seems somehow more more feasible in the future um than than something like UTMB where you're really still kind of having to try and keep up a run for a hundred miles. Sure, sure. So I, I think I, I get the impression that we're going to see you running for certainly the next 10 years, maybe even out to 15 and 20. You can tell by your voice there that you just have a love for, for running. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you won't want me saying to the listeners that you're in your early 30s now, but absolutely no talk of any retirement or anything like that. Not for a long, long time, but it sounds of it. No, no. I, yeah, I think there's there's just too much... There's so much to choose from. There's so much still to do. I've never actually finished a um, living here in the UK. Never finished a series of of the British or the English fell running championships, just because there's so much to pick from. And and one year I'd love to kind of focus on that as well. Um. So yeah, I still feel like there's there's loads left I want to do. Sure. And listen, if we if we don't make the Irish mountain running team anymore, there's plenty of vets teams that we can go for as well. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but Sarah, that that win there last year, that great win, it, it's probably been about twenty years in, in the making. So, can we go back in time, and can you tell us where that love for running and then later on mountain running came from? Um, yeah, well, I guess my first um, kind of awareness of of mountain running was through my mom's side of the family. Um, my mom's from the Lake District in the north of England um, and we always spent a lot of time here on summer holidays and that sort of thing and and she she was a fell walker and my granddad was a fell walker and um, and that's what we would spend our holidays doing um, but she would always tell you know she, she got me into running as well um, and she would kind of always hint at she thought she thought I would um, I would like to be a fell runner you know we lived somewhere flat at the time um, but she was always saying, oh, you should try and do Bob Graham one day and this kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, it was through, through my mom's connections um, with the Lake District, I think, that kind of put it into my head that it was something I wanted to do. Um, but growing up, I did more track and cross country. OK. And, and I know you competed for the Michigan State University in yeah. Division One of the NCAA. Yeah. I mean, that must have given you a fantastic base for all the future success that we've seen over the last 10 years. Yeah, I think it was a really good start um, and I was quite lucky. I just, I didn't have a scholarship or anything. I was already at Michigan State and I joined the team as a walk-on. Um, and so I was never anywhere near, you know, the top girls on the team or anything like that. 
Um, but it, I learned so much from being on that team. And, and there, there's so much money that goes into American college sports. They, they just had the best of everything. So it was, it was a really great development experience. Um, and I, I was really lucky to have it. Sure. And is there any of the, the training that you would have used back then that you still apply now? I don't know, maybe mileage, any plyometrics, anything at all that you would have learned back then? Um, I think definitely a lot of the stuff that we learned strength training wise has stuck with me. Like we had a, a team strength trainer um, and I think just having that confidence to go to go into a gym uh, that's not something that I would naturally I, I wouldn't have naturally had it before then and and my gym routine now is a big part of my my training when the gym's open um so I think that's definitely something where if I hadn't had that that kind of um structured introduction to weight training then I probably wouldn't have really had an, an opportunity to get into that side of things so much okay and it, it certainly sounded like a, a great um a great base in your training because you came out of that and within a couple of years you had ran 1549 on the road in 5k which I mean is good enough to win the majority of 5k road races all over Ireland and the UK you made the Irish European cross-country team that got team gold with the likes of Fanula Britain at the time, Linda Byrne, Lizzie Lee, Olympians in their own right. You were 36 in that race. I mean, a real top-class elite road and cross-country runner. But I presume you came to a crossroads then, Sarah, when you maybe had to choose between going down the road scene and you could have gone on to have your pick of road race road race wins over the over the coming years after that represent Ireland in cross country probably on a couple of occasions more at least but I think you went towards the mountains how did you make that choice yeah it was hard I think I'm one of those people like who <laughs> who tries to do a bit of everything sometimes and and I just kind of realized it wasn't really working for me because I'm not sort of someone who's naturally got a lot of strength endurance. Um, I, in mountain running, my my relative strength would be the kind of speed side of things. And if I did cross country all winter, I'd come into the spring and start trying to do some mountain races and, I, and I'd just hit a hill and go backwards through the field. Um, and I, I just got to the point where I knew I loved mountain running um, first and foremost, but I was trying to do both and I just realized for me as a runner and the type of runner that I am, if I don't get in the hills all winter and get that strength base, then I'm not going to be as competitive. And I, I just decided I need to, needed to specialize really. Wow, I mean, an incredible, brave decision to make because as I said, you would have been part of an Irish cross country gold medal winning team. Um, what were your memories of that day when you did win did the team gold with the girls? I think my favorite memory was I'd crossed the finish line um, and none of us knew what the team scores were. And, you know, when at the point when I finished, I didn't know how anyone else had done. I think someone might have said that Fanula won, which was obviously just brilliant. I think she was the first woman ever to defend a European cross-country um, title. Um, so that was really nice to see. But I didn't know what the team score was. Um, and... Then some, someone who I didn't know, I think he might have been, because um, it was in Hungary, um, and I think he might have just been an official, and he, 
all they did was tap me on the shoulder and point to this massive um, digital scoreboard. And, and Ireland was at the top and I was like, what's he pointing at? Like, what are those numbers? And, I, and then I thought, maybe those are scores. And I thought, well, they can't be scores because that would have mean we just won gold. And I looked at it for far longer <laughs> than anyone should have looked at it before I realized what he was saying. And the, the other girls didn't know yet either. So I just grabbed Ava Hutchinson and turned her towards the scoreboard. And, and we just all started screaming. It was just, it was really, really cool. And, and to have Finula, you know, win gold again on top of that, um, it was a really, really amazing experience. Ah, a brilliant memory by the sounds of it. Um, but I mentioned in the intro, Sarah, that you actually have, I think, three passports. Uh, America from your time growing up there, and um, a British passport from your mom, and then an Irish passport from your dad. Uh, how did you actually make that choice to represent Ireland? Because I'm sure the, um, the, the Brits and the Americans would have been knocking on your door, and you, you could have easily made um, their teams as well. So uh, how come we're lucky enough to, to have you <laughs> running for us? Uh, no, I, I, I feel very lucky to be running for Ireland. I think the, um, the, the sort of dynamic in the team is completely different. You know, when you go to these international races, I've had it said to me by people from other teams, it seems like you guys, you know, get on really well and you have a really good time. And 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 I think that's down to um, the Irish management have done a really good job over the years. But um, I, when I first started um, doing fairly well in in mountain races, I was living in Scotland and um, and I had a Scottish coach and I, and I'd already been, you know, doing cross country and stuff over in Ireland and um, and Jerry Brady um who was the manager at the time he got in touch um about possibly you know coming and doing the trial for the irish irish mountain running and it wasn't something i'd really considered till he got in touch um and and just when he said it i was just i just thought that would be absolutely brilliant to run for ireland and um and my coach being scottish he was like well you know if there's a choice between running for ireland and running for england i'm going to point you towards ireland um but to be honest that the whole idea of it just immediately uh, it just appealed and you know over the years I've I've had a few people ask me also so when are you gonna you know swap over to running for for GB or you know why do you run for for Ireland and that kind of thing and um and I just I would I've got so many long-lasting friendships through running with Ireland and it means a lot to me and I would, I would just, I would never, ever consider running for anyone else. It's been absolutely brilliant, and I'm, I'm really proud of it. Sure, and here we are. I think is it twenty caps later, Sarah? I must be something like that by this stage. I think I started in twenty eleven. Yeah. Well, I think Sonia O'Sullivan has 33. So I reckon if you can keep on the Irish mental running team for another five or six years, um, you're going to get close to Sonia O'Sullivan. And wouldn't that be some achievement? Some achievement? Um, and I know you, your dad must have been a very proud Irishman, Sarah. He, I know he was over in Argentina with us back in November. And I'm sure you must have made his day the, the first time that you put on an Irish singlet. Yeah, no, I think I think it really did, and he's um, yeah, he he's uh, he's definitely very proud of that. And uh, both his parents are now passed away, but my grandma lived to see me racing in an Irish festival. That was really nice as well. 
Ah, brilliant, super. And the the move to the mountains, it obviously paid off because within maybe a year to 18 months of concentrating on the mountains, you were coming top 10 in the world. Um, sixth, I think, in 2013, and a bronze medal with the Irish mountain running team with Kate Cronin and Sarah Mulligan, and then ninth in 2015 in Wales. Um, that must have been a fantastic vindication of your choice to choose the mountains yeah definitely um no i think it it has paid off um to to really focus on them and especially like in recent years um they have a lot of vk events over in in italy um where i've been racing a lot and that's really forced me to work on my kind of power and uphill strength um which i think has kind of transferred to the other um mountain disciplines like the kind of classic 15 15 mile um, mountain race and and that sort of thing. Um, I've definitely definitely seen an improvement across the board since I've kind of started really focusing on the on the um, mountain running. Yeah. And can can you tell us the secret, Sarah? What exactly type? What type of training are, did you do and do you continue doing to help with that strength in power climbing? Um, and then on the flip side, um, you're you're an excellent technical descender as well. Um, maybe could you give myself and the listeners um, any tips, any real training examples of things that you're doing? Um, well, I think one thing that I just kind of probably learned about myself later than I should have was that, you know, you really just need to look at what are you not so good at and, and really get comfortable training those things um you know for instance you saying that I'm a good technical descender um I I think I've improved a lot because of train getting out in the fells on on terrain that I'm not very comfortable with there's still a lot of people around here in the Lake District who would say I'm not that good but um you know then I've gone to gone to Italy and and had people um compliment me on my descending so it's all kind of relative and and I think we all have strengths and weaknesses based on on what kind of terrain you're on but um definitely living in the Lake District has forced me to get out on some really rocky stuff and just start slowly getting better at it so I think I think one thing that really helped me was you know you you'll have people say say it to you that you're not good at such and such a thing like I've had people say to me that I'm not good at technical descending and and as soon as you start to believe them, that sort of hinders how much you're going to going to progress. Um, and then I, I kind of one day just decided to kind of add up, OK, well, how long have I actually spent fell running, like in terms of hours? Um, and I and I added it all up and I, I reckoned it only came to like a thousand or fifteen hundred hours. And I thought, well, how can I say whether I'm naturally good or not good at technical descending if I've only done that much of it? Um, and I think I just decided, well, instead of instead of writing myself off as a as a bad descender, I'm just going to do as much of it as I can and then see, you know, what am I like at it? So um, definitely just just identifying things that I'm not comfortable with and going out and doing them over and over, even if it's just, you know, really easy pace, just running down a hill, getting used to foot placement, that sort of thing, and just letting letting that time accumulate um, gradually until all of a sudden something that didn't feel very runnable um, feels a lot easier. Sure and then on the uphill Sarah like is it just pretty much 
getting the hours in, getting the miles in, um, slowly, steadily running uphill, even walking uphill, power walking if needed. Or do you do many uphill sessions, like a typical kind of maybe 10 by 2 minutes hard, things like that, or even steady tempo runs all uphill? Yeah, I think one of the things that really improved my descending, sorry, ascending for me was um, when I swapped over from doing less of the short reps and more of the long sustained tempos. Um, because again, that was just something for me that I needed to work on. Um, but another thing that I found really useful that a lot of people maybe don't tend to include in their training is the really short hill sprints um, to kind of recruit the fast twitch muscle fibers and just build on, you know, your maximum kind of power output. Um, and and there was the um, Uphill Athlete book that came out last year that's been quite popular and they do a really good job of explaining um, the theory behind hill sprints and the, you know how to employ them in your training but they're almost saying get out and do them every week um because they really are the most specific kind of strength training as a hill runner that you could do um i don't do them every week but i do do them fairly often and, and i found them really useful as well okay um, we've mentioned lots of highs sarah over the last 10 years has there been any setbacks or lows that you've had to deal with for example i remember i didn't see you racing much in 2016 2017 was there any long-term injury issues there or anything um i think 2016 was i kind of think i'd had a not a very good european mountain running which was in in july um, and I thought I'd, this was before I decided to really focus on mountain running and I thought I'd give cross country season a really good go. Um, mm-hmm. But then I would say probably one of my lowest points was um, the year after the 2012 cross country when we won gold, um, I actually qualified for the Irish team again um, to go to the European cross and about 10 days out from the Eurocross, I got injured. Um, and that was really awful because the the team management were really supportive and they, it wasn't like categorically, I'm injured, I'm out. It was like a day by day process and they were checking in and saying, how are you, how are you? And, um, you know, it was kind of, <laughs> it was kind of tortuous in a way because it was just, you know, every morning I'd wake up and hope something would be better and it wasn't better. And, and um, you know, eventually just having to make that decision that, I wasn't able to race um, was really hard. Uh, but I think it's something that we all go through at some stage. If, you, if you're really aiming for a target race, things just don't always come together and, and it spurs you on the next time. Yeah, well, you, you've kept on coming back and back and had great success. And yeah, I said at the very start, Sarah, that you, you've been a great role model for mountain running in, in Ireland and indeed in the UK as well. Um, are you happy with the way that the sport is developing in terms of the numbers of female runners in the mountains? Because just before the interview, I was doing a bit of research just to see what the participation levels across different races are in terms of female running. And it can be a mixed bag from anywhere from as low as 10% in some races up to 33% in other races, like for example, in the Morris Mullen Ultra Half last year, which had 33% female runners, which was great. Um, As a benchmark, maybe unfairly, I was looking at the Dublin Marathon, the road race, which had 37% female participation. what are your thoughts on female participation on the trails and on the mountains? 
I mean, it definitely seems like it's increasing, but I think there's a lot more that can be done um, to encourage women out onto the trails in the sense that, like, I remember the first few years that I was going fell running. At first, I didn't really go on my own, um, you know, partially because I didn't know where I was going, so I'd go with other people. But it took me it took me a couple of years to really feel comfortable being completely out on my own in the mountains because it just wasn't something that I'd grown up doing or anything like that. And and I've talked to a lot of other people, not just women, but quite a lot of women who, who feel the same. And, and it just, if you're not necessarily going out in the mountains loads as a kid, um, then it's it's not something you'd naturally necessarily feel comfortable with, just, just heading out into the hills on your own. Um, and I think there there's definitely a lot more that, that we could do to kind of help um, people start to feel more more confident um, kind of yeah just hitting the trails um, and I know like for instance there's She Summits in Wicklow um, and there's a, a couple other organizations like in Scotland doing similar things just um, getting women out in groups um, to develop that confidence that where you could then go out on your own um, but there is an underrepresentation of women. Um, and I do think sometimes as well, the um, now prizes aren't everything and this might be contentious, but I do think that there there's issues with prize equality as well, where, um, you know, the point of a prize, a prize is there to, to kind of acknowledge an achievement. Um, and if there's fewer prizes for women, I, I do think that that, that has a consequence um, for, you know, women in sport, because what, if you as a woman come fifth in a race and and you get a prize that is it is an encouragement to kind of keep going and see where you can get to if they have prizes for the top 10 men and only the top three women then then there's less of that kind of encouragement and acknowledgement going around in my opinion yeah absolutely it would seem very bizarre and very unfair that in today's modern age that um the prize distribution isn't divided out evenly amongst races because as we've seen and seen in some races um oftentimes that girls can actually come in ahead of guys especially as the distances increase in kilometers as well and even in some of the shorter stuff as well i think i remember reading that you won a mountain race outright one year and your teammate kate cronin did the same in host i think last season so i mean it potentially it, it's such um, a fantastic sport for for women and hopefully organizations and um, sort out things like the prizes and, and do all that they can to encourage um, women mountain running whether it's through training camps or um, specific coaches you know lots of areas there that um, we can help with yeah definitely okay well, well Sarah just to finish off um, the interview um, all the racing that you do uh, all the training that you do life must be extremely busy for you because i know you have your own very successful training company with paul missing link coaching you're an innovate brand ambassador you work as an ecologist as well and i know you do lots of training camps with emirate too how do you manage to keep the energy levels up high and do everything so well <laughs> um well, it seems it's felt a little bit easier since lockdown started, to be honest. Um, I definitely have noticed having a bit more time in the day and a bit uh, a bit more time to sort of get eight hours sleep. But um, I don't know. I don't feel like I'm, I do the best job of organizing my time. I, I do seem to be rushing quite a lot um, usually. Uh, but I think it's just, you know, I really enjoy coaching. 
um, and definitely have a passion for ecology. So I suppose it's just, a, a, you know, liking what you do. You don't necessarily feel like you're you're working all the time or anything like that. Um, a lot of the coaching stuff is just really good fun. So you definitely don't come home thinking, oh, I've just done a 12 hour day or whatever. You just think, oh, that was a really good day out in the hills. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just about enjoying enjoying things. And, and there's always like harder parts to, you know, it does definitely feel like work sometimes. But um, for the most part, I think, yeah, Paul and I both feel quite lucky to be doing what we do. Sure. Well, it sounds like you're in a nice, sweet spot in life. Um, COVID-19 aside, Sarah, and long may it continue. Um, our final question, Sarah, that we ask everybody that's on the show, um, what's your favourite place to train and run in? Um, I have quite a few of those. Uh, but one that I wanted to mention was um, I had a fantastic training holiday last year, uh, no, two years ago in Macedonia. Um, and we went to the south west near the border with Greece and Albania and like I kind of knew it was going to be nice but that it's got to be one of my my favorite ever trips um the mountains were just I think we saw one person all week when we were out running in the mountains um we had a few adventures as well because the maps weren't so maybe weren't up to like OS standard and they um and a lot of the signposts were faded to the point that you couldn't read them anymore um but it was such a gorgeous place the food was amazing the culture was amazing and and there's just um you know 2000 meter hills everywhere and and really pristine lakes and that kind of thing so um I, I'd really like to get back there again Sure. And isn't that one of the benefits of certainly representing Ireland over the last 10 years that you get to go to countries like Macedonia, where I think there was a European championship. Yeah. And I know you've been in what Turkey and Poland, France, Italy, of course, as well. So it's a really great sport to be involved in, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I think that's what what drew me to the um, the World Cup was just that it's almost like a lineup that someone else has just prepared all these amazing you know race experiences for you and all you have to do is sort of sign up and figure out how to get there and and it's just it's invariably somewhere scenic and gorgeous and somewhere that you probably wouldn't have otherwise ended up so um it's, yeah it's a really good sport to be involved in. well Sarah it's been an absolute privilege to have you on the podcast thank you very much for being on the show it's not often that we have a mountain runner on the front page of Irish Runner which you did last year in October <laughs> and November in Dublin marathon season so I, I reckon that's maybe one of your biggest achievements today <laughs> as well um, so Sarah listen all the best with the recovery from the ankle strain and hopefully we get to see you defend that World Cup trophy this summer brilliant thank you very much Owen lovely to chat to you all the best Sarah take care cheers bye And that's a wrap for episode three of Trail Running Ireland. Thanks a million for tuning in again, everybody. And just of note was that after we did the interview with Sarah McCormick there earlier in the week, a couple of hours afterwards, Jonathan Wyatt, the president of the International Mountain Running Association, announced that the World Cup trophy was actually cancelled for 2020. So an awful shame that Sarah won't get to defend her trophy this year, but she'll be back stronger and hopefully better than ever in 2021. And in the meantime, with a bit of luck, she'll 
get to put on the green jersey of Ireland once again in the World Championships in the Mountain Running World Championships in Lanzarote in November. Everybody have a great week's training. Hopefully the legs are healthy, are fresh. There's no major little niggles there. And if there is, look after yourself. Take care. We look forward to talking to you in episode four. Once again, a big thank you to our show sponsor, EcoTrail Wicklow. Check them out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, where there's lots of lovely photographs of some of those fantastic trails around Wicklow and some good banter as well on some of the posts. Have a great week's training, everybody. See you again next time. Get your running gear on. Let's go. Let's go.